welcome to the 27th episode of Total Bob Mode, your weekly gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here once again, and as always, by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What is going on, you feisty flip-flopping froggies? And coming up on this week's episode of Total Pod Mode, we talk about the games we've been playing this week, hit up some hot off the press gaming news, and we round off the episode by beginning the first part of our journey into the disturbing, intriguing, and downright confusing world of Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding. But before all of that, James, let's crack on with the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. With all that said, James, let's crack on with the catch up. Lay it on me. What have you been up to this week? Apart from Death Stranding, which we will get into later, I finished off Risen. Oh, very good. Good progress, man. I was pleased with that. That was nice. Mission complete. Mission complete. Got there. Very, very good game. Just as good as I remember it. I wouldn't say it's aged well, but I like it. I've got that nostalgia goggles on, you know, so it sort of works. Has for it me. aged okay or it's aged or okay, but it's like, aged okay. Okay. But it's not like you know, it's not like Skyrim came out two years after it, right? And you yeah. would and you'd go back to Skyrim now and you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's still really good. It's not like that. <laughs> but it's okay. but it works like it's still very functional like it's not janky um some of the graphical stuff is maybe a little bit but story wise gameplay wise mechanics wise everything's still on point had a really good time with it the only the only disappointing thing is the final boss is a little bit easy but that's because i sort of know what i'm doing in that game a little bit so i was able to max out my strengths at for example like get some really good weapons and just was able to kick his ass so yeah that was good fun and then the other other thing i've been playing um aside from death stranding as i mentioned is um i cracked on a bit with hogwarts legacy um which has been a nice one really 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 good fun Uh, so i did my normal thing with rpgs whereby i get about 14 hours into it and then decide this character i don't like it no way you restarted <laughs> yeah yeah so i restarted uh on sunday okay okay and uh yeah haven't changed all that much i'm still a slytherin boy but uh i'm being a bit more of a bastard i'm being a bit more role play with it i was trying to be a bit too wishy-washy and it was sort of didn't really work with the character in the story it's on point now really good game was able to get back to where i'd got to anyway really quickly because i knew what i was doing and was able to skip a lot of the cutscenes because i'd seen them all you, you can skip any cutscene in the game i think but you don't have to have watched it before or anything like that it's a like modern day games. game yeah <laughs> yeah you can't pause in the cutscenes though which i think is a sort of that should be a standard feature now and by now in modern day games yeah i mean doesn't bother me really but i understand why people think that way but yeah i, I can't really say anything bad about it man aside from what i mentioned last week with the occasional frame drop and things like that it, it's very 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 good indeed i mean it plays well looks brilliant the missions are fun getting lots of witcher vibes in terms of how they're trying to make the game play I make trouble go away. I'm a witcher. Oh, really? Do you have quite a few dialogue options when you conclude the quests? Uh, a fair amount, yeah, but it's not so hmm. much um, 
a good choice and a bad choice as such you do have moments like that but it's more like you can just ask loads of questions like you can in like a skyrim or a, or a witch or anything like that to get more information for the missions um, there's typically a number of different ways you can do stuff although it typically becomes person gives you task you can either do the task and give them what they've asked for or you can extort payment out of them or you can just keep it and things like that uh, interesting mechanic that's quite amusing is that when you're doing that you can like say oh yeah I, let's say there's what well, this isn't too big a spoiler there's one side quest where someone gets their um i can't i think they're called gobstones right which are like little balls that you they're almost act like pebbles but then if you lose the round like they spray some foul smelling liquid at you yeah that's the gobstones yeah, yeah yeah someone gets their gobstones stolen you go find them get them all back and then you can either give them back to her or you can keep them and if you choose to keep them option like she obviously kicks off and's like oh i don't want you to do that you're so mean or whatever avada and- kedavra Uh, yeah <laughs> in all of the ones i've seen where you can do this you get the option to sort of say oh no i'm just chi- i'm just joking here you go so you get like a are you sure every single time you want to be a dick in this game oh that's fine <laughs> i quite like that as well because I- you just get to troll people yeah. if you're actually still going to be the good guy exactly yeah it's just that's that's quite amusing but yeah that's important question have you unlocked the smash bell yet yes descendo yes i did i did unlock the pile driver that you were talking about last week yes excellent i did excellent. unlock descendo I haven't used it yet, funnily enough, but I did unlock it, yes. I also unlocked an exploding charm called Bombarda. (laughs) Right, just viscera flying through the air now as you play. Yeah, uh, and we sort of touched on that, like, you know, oh, is there death? There's definitely death. Like, this this game is... It's a kid's game, but it, you, you kill with shit in it. Like, yeah, well, I mean, they do have the uh, the killing, the forbidden killing curse in the game yeah. of Arda Kedavra, don't they? So They have, which I have used, but not officially, because because uh, I've got the deluxe edition, I get this thing called Dark Arts Battle Arenas. Okay, okay, what's that? You, you find, like, these um, statue things that are surrounded by urns. If you destroy all the urns, like, the statue opens up, and you go in and you can do various dark arts battles and things against waves of enemies. Oh, okay, cool. And the very, cool. the, I've done, well, I've tried to. I did one of them and the first one I did, they just give you like Avada Kedavra. Um, I'm going to pronounce all of these spells wrong. I'm very sorry. Um, well, that one specifically. Then Crucio is one of them and then there's another one. Yeah. Um, That's the torturing spell, Crucio is the torturing one and then there's, I forget what it's called. I think it begins with an I, but it's one where you can like take control of someone and they fight for you for a little bit. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I think they're the only three sort of forbidden curses in the game that you can use. So uh, I sent you a video earlier this week on Twitter of your character, not your character, but the character that you play as, going into a teacher's office and then repeatedly descendoing, that's the slam spell, in one of the teachers. Professor Weasley. Weasley. Yeah, Professor Weasley. Weasley. So I guess uh, one of them ended up as a teacher at some point. There's also a student Weasley as well, just for fun. And he's not too dissimilar looking to, um, is it George and William? Brendan. George, Fred and the George, twins. George and Fred, yeah. Right? But no, man. So I don't really want to talk about it at too much length because obviously being only a week old and uh, being very popular, I don't want to give any spoilers. How about you? What have you been playing this week? This week, once again, I've yet to play quite as much games as I'd have liked to. Uh, it's been quite a few busy weekends on the trot. But I did manage to catch up with a good friend of mine, shout out to Liam. He bought over his Warhammer 40k figures and we actually set up a fire team tabletop. Oh yeah. So I don't know whether many 
of our listeners or yourself are very familiar with the Warhammer 40k tabletop game. So the game essentially consists of you laying out a battlefield and it's played on a smaller scale because we're playing a variant of the overall game called Fireteam. And this is played out, I think, with much smaller teams, uh, typically with a couple of objectives on a map. So you'll lay out a large board across your table and then you'll sort of agree on placing various structures around. That'll be things like little towers, short pieces of cover, uh, full pieces of wall cover and things like that. So you essentially build your own battlefield in front of you and then you agree on sort of like a, a no man's land lines, which is typically six inches from either side of the board. And then you place all your sort of characters amongst there. And then during the game, you're allowed to sort of move your characters and allow them to do certain actions like shoot their gun or use different weapons that they're equipped with. And these little characters are essentially sort of like highly detailed small plastic models that a lot of the people who play the game, in fact, probably the vast, vast majority of them, they actually go ahead and paint the models and do them with their own designs and colours and things like that. I think that's like a big part of the fandom is is sort of painting and collecting the models themselves. My understanding is that's the main part of the fandom. I think that you're probably right there, actually. I think that probably the vast majority of people never get quite as far as playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't get as far as finishing painting their whole army. <laughs> yeah. Get a base coat on the yeah. uh, models and then it just sort of gets lost in the uh, back of the drawer. Just sprayed all of mine black and put like bits of green on them. That's what I did, yeah. Uh, but when you get into the meat of the game, just to sort of bring it back to a video game reference, if anyone has played the XCOM series, the combat in the tabletop game does function very similarly to that in the sense that your accuracy and chance to hit another player with your weapon will be determined by the weapon that your character is using as well as the distance that you are from another player. Line of sight. Yep, line of sight, absolutely, as well as whether the player is above or below you. All your attacks in the game are then decided by a dice roll where each one of your attacks might ask you to roll four dice roll five dice and typically whether the attack lands is decided by the dice that you roll and whether they hit over a certain number so for instance a standard attack with an assault rifle you will need to roll four dice and for those attacks to land you need to score a four or above for them to land so it basically functions like um in the same sort of way as like a wisdom save or an armor class in DD, right no it, it it does perform similarly to DD, but more as just sort of like a pure attack like a spell of some sort yeah. And then at that point, the player being attacked then does roll their saving throws. There you go which yeah. then accounts for whether they're able to dodge those attacks, just like you were mentioning there. Got yeah. But instead of rolling like 3d20 or whatever, you roll 4d6. 4d6, absolutely, yeah, cool. yeah. And then that player in response will roll however many saving throws they get. That's affected by yeah. whether they're in full cover, whether they have some sort of background strategic ability going on yeah. that will allow them to roll an additional saving throw. Yeah, their race and all that good stuff, yeah. As you go about moving on the board, there are also four objectives that you need to capture, and each one of those will essentially get gain you a victory point, which you can use uh, to your advantage in terms of winning the overall game. And in order to win the overall game, you need to kill the team leader on the opposing team, as well as capture the majority of the objectives. As me and Liam were sort of playing a simplified version of this, and uh, this was the first time that either of us had actually sat down and played it properly, we were playing pretty fast and loose, and we actually ended up in a kind of a deadlock where he'd captured most of the objectives, but I'd killed his captain team leader. <laughs> but I was just really enjoying playing the game through to completion and figuring out how the combat worked. Melee combat works a little different. It kind of turns into like a rock, paper, scissors and you take turns
turns rolling dice. Yeah, it's definitely something new to me and something that I really enjoyed. Definitely keen on playing it a little bit more and uh, I might even consider picking up my own fire team at some point. Very good. But on the back of that, uh, as I kind of mentioned XCOM earlier... Uh, I also got into playing a little bit of XCOM 2, which I've had on my Switch. It's been sat in my library for quite some time now, but I never really delved too deep into it. All XCOM games on sale on Steam right at the moment, just for everyone's information. Oh, uh, there you go. Top tip from James. Go check it out. I might well consider that. Yeah. Because i got to say, uh, obviously, graphically and performance-wise on the Switch, it's definitely not the best medium to play it on. Yeah. Although handheld would probably be quite good for that style of game, got to say. Absolutely. That was my that was my reasoning for buying it, was that actually this would be quite nice to sort of bust out on a train journey yeah. or sit there on the bus and just do a quick few turns or a round or something yeah, before throwing your switch against the wall because you got killed by something that you didn't see or something <laughs> my life! well this is the thing it does have that sort of roguelike element to it where if your squad mates are killed on the battle they are kind of gone for good yeah and at that point, you uh, you can kind of assign yourself uh, like a randomized spawn character to sort of be your next troop in the line. Or you've actually got a, a very simple character creator. And I actually, I've made myself, I've made you, James, obviously. I've made Sigrid. I've made uh, a bunch of other friends that we both know, as well as all of my pets. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, I have like a fully kitted out squad now. And whenever anyone dies, I, uh, you know, I've got another familiar face to look at, which is it's pretty fun, actually, adding oh, yeah. that other element to the game. So after playing a little bit of Warhammer 40k on the tabletop, I actually found myself enjoying XCOM 2 way more than I had previously because I had sort of like a fresh appreciation for it yeah uh, and also I had a better understanding of the rules themselves I find those tactical RPGs really hard man they they are I've, I've lost every time that I've tried to play it up yeah. until now and I actually had quite a few sequential good matches and I'm only putting that down to experience from Warhammer 40k yeah, I mean, whenever I've tried to play XCOM, I do decent, but then typically as soon as your initial squad dies, that's it, because you then have to bring in a level one. Yeah, and that's like, right. And I yeah. used to get like my whole team to like a high level, and then I'd get rinsed when it got too difficult. So yeah, so they're fun, but yeah, I just always struggled with them. No, agreed. I think I'm seeing them in a new light now, but previously I'd always really struggled to get along with them. Nice, though. It's good that you're able to get into it, mate. Uh, with that said, that's pretty much all I've been up to this week in terms of gaming. Reckon it's time to crack on with the news? I don't know. I think we can make your pain last a little longer before Death Stranding. Oh, let's just talk about another random game. What, the f- what else can we talk about? F- you. <laughs> On with the gaming news. <laughs> so we're right on with our first news article of the day. Saints Row sales flop forces parent company to change its policy on new games. So, news today from PushSquare.com that Embracer Group, the company that funded the Saints Row reboot, has explained in its latest financial report that it will need to rethink its approach to greenlighting new games after admitting that Saints Row failed to meet sales expectations. I could have told them that was going to happen before they announced it. Yeah, no shit. I think everything <laughs> kind of pointed towards the fact that this wasn't going to uh, do so well compared to the previous titles. No, absolutely not. The report then goes on to say... We have therefore increased management focus and efforts to optimise investments and efficiency across the group even further. And, you know, to put it in more layman's terms, each project has to earn its own right to exist. So that sounds pretty brutal in terms of the the measures that they're going to take here, James. But we spoke a little earlier on this and you said that you had an article that may well sort of contradict this slightly. A little bit, because they're saying all this right, but then in the same breath, they've got five Lord of the Rings games coming out in the next two years. They're putting all the money on Lord of the Rings, I, I guess, uh, using that IP for what it's worth. And 
because obviously they're a group, right? They've taken over a bunch of smaller companies and brought them all into one big... Embrace, you might say. Nice embrace, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's going to be scores of games that they would have had in development. So it's just quite funny that this has come up where it's like, yeah, man, we, we really want to make sure that every game we produce is of the utmost highest quality as opposed to what they're actually doing, which seems to be throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. So, you know, it's a little bit contradictory, but yeah, I mean, I think the next one's going to have to be a hit because uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, obviously, but I don't think Saints Row did very well at all. So if they're going to make any sort of money off this whole deal, then they're probably going to need one of their Lord of the Ring games to be pretty epic. And I think the first one that they've got coming out um, is uh, the Lord of the Rings Gollum. And apparently that's going to be a stealth action adventure game. Have you seen much of this? I haven't, no. The graf- I've My seen a screenshot of the graphics. extremely low. It doesn't look one. good. Not just graphically. It's in terms yeah. of the gameplay mechanics as well. It looks very basic stealth mechanics that we've seen all before yeah i mean i don't like stealth mm. games at the best of times but we'll see i'm not going to pass judgment on it till it comes out it definitely sounds like it's hitting its fair share of developmental limbo that it's in at the moment and yeah. uh you only hope for the team that they do manage to deliver a good game but uh you know you can see that there's more going on behind the scenes here watch this space i guess so on to our next article the Atomic Heart release date draws near on February 21st on Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S. Oh, they're doing all of them. All of them. Except for the Switch. <laughs> Obviously not the Switch, James. Yeah, yeah. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, that'd be like seven months later. And still streamed to the platform yeah. via a dodgy connection. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what do we know about this game so far? Absolutely f- Cool. I'm here to tell you, James. So, the game takes place in a fictional alternative universe set in 1955 USSR. So, after discovering a special substance called polymer in 1936, scientist Dmitry Sektionov launched a network of AI robots called The Collective. This collective of robots were supposed to help people with manual labour and improve their lives by freeing up their time spent not doing their gardening and various other domestic chores. All was going well until, 20 years later, a new technology was invented, allowing people to connect to the collective network using only their thoughts. This predictably and obviously goes horribly wrong during the launch and results in a bunch of domestically armed robots causing chaos and murdering people. Your character, the protagonist, is sent in to investigate and restore the network. You also have robot prosthetic arms and it's an FPS style game mixed with powers from the polymer glove and that essentially has abilities very similar to Bioshock so you can shoot ice out your hands, electricity, do a bit of telekinesis. In an interesting twist on this, the glove also has a little AI living inside it called Charles, who helps your character on his way around the world. To add to all the chaos of this, you also inexplicably have mutating plants that can take over human bodies, so you've got bio kind of zombie things in there as well. Hey, and the melee combat looks pretty decent too, it looks like fun. The graphics on the game look very impressive, I'm really liking the art style and aesthetic. It's kind of all very washed out in terms of the colours of the environments and gives you this quite oppressive, samey feel. Yeah, which you want a nuclear f***ing robots taking over the world game. So, uh, definitely one to watch here and one that I may well pick up myself. And speaking of new arrivals, Wild Hearts released back on the 16th of February to pretty decent reviewer scores, 8 out of 10 on IGN, 80% on Metacritic. So to be honest with you, I usually equate that to more like a kind of a, a 60, 65% on my own meter. Anything that's like an 8 out of 10 on IGN instantly for me becomes 5 or 6 pending me playing it myself. Disrespectful though that is to IGN because I read a lot of their <laughs> stuff, but still. <laughs> but... 
Following that feedback, it also receives a mostly negative score on Steam. Most of this criticism seems to be directed at the performance of the game on PC. Yeah, particularly in the um, alpha or the um, kind of like I got with Hogwarts Legacy where you play it a little bit in advance. I think a lot of those guys were the ones that were like, this game plays like dick. I mean, I have heard that a lot of these issues DA have recognised is to do with CPU bottlenecking on a lot of people's PC hardware. They are issuing a patch for this, but it's coming out at some point, I think within a week of release. So a lot of people aren't very happy that they've essentially paid for a game that they now have a promise that it will work in a week. And understandably, yeah. uh, you know, you can see that a lot of these reviews are also, they've got the little tag that says uh, re- refund accepted or whatever on the uh, on the thing. Yeah, and it's particularly damning that they've delayed it by a week. Well, not delayed it, but they've said that you won't get a fix for a week for those that have spent an extra £10, $15, whatever it may be, to get the access a few days early before it releases, right? A proper piss take that. Yeah, you would assume that at some point they would have to issue refunds for that at the very least. Or, or, or you know, the smart thing to do would be to get your refunds for that and then just repurchase the game in like a couple of weeks time. Exactly, yeah. Just buy the basic game, yeah. So uh, a lot of the reviews I read were in agreement that if someone was considering getting into this sort of genre for the first time, that they should absolutely just kind of purchase Monster Hunter World. I haven't played Wild Hearts, but I'd probably agree with that, yeah. Reviews do, however, praise the monster designs that you fight and the pretty decent combat, which is apparently comparable to Neo 2, which uh, I've played a little bit myself and did find it quite different from Dark Souls, which is the only thing I could really compare it to at the time. And I think I found the difference there, the sort of the main factor why I didn't get on with it straight away but i can absolutely see that if you spend some time playing with that that you could really get good at it and uh and have a fun time yeah i can't speak to neo 2 i've played a little bit of neo 1 and i can't imagine it's that different but that game plays pretty decent with the combat so that's relatively high praise i'd say also we mentioned this briefly on the pod before when we were talking about the release of wild hearts but the karakuri building system to make sort of your camps and hunting tools also seem pretty cool and unique and that was the sort of the main thing for me that differentiated it between monster hunter was the fact that you could sort of on the field craft large structures to yeah. help you hunt yeah and like the different sort of trappy things like the hookshot one that we saw it all looks the like a bomb can... that explodes yeah. the thing that kind of gives you a platform to hang glide into them and attack them from the air it looks really cool yeah. stuff it looks like it can be quite good fun and something different to monster hunter in that regard i'm gonna watch this one from afar with a bit of caution for a little bit see how it picks up and then may well jump into it myself. I think I probably will jump into this one myself. It just seems like too much of a tempting prospect, but this one is definitely getting a lot of breathing room until I see this one for a discount given the uh, the current state of the reviews and the current performance of the game, you know. And who developed it as well. I mean, sorry, uh, yeah, you have released some bangers, yeah. but... You burned me on 2042 EA. Yeah. Um, it's not happening again. It's yeah. the whole reason why I didn't pre-order this. I was I had real high hopes for this, but you know I was waiting for those reviews to come in before I picked this one up. Yeah, and a good job you did. That being said, I do hold out hope that it's still going to be a great game when it's finally sort of up and running properly. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that I'll pick this one up the next time it goes on sale for around half off. I can't see myself laying out more than about 20 quid for this, but uh, when it does get there, I'm sure I'll have a good time for my money. Well, I look forward to playing it with you in about three or four years' time then, man. It's (laughs) going to be good (laughs) <laughs> it's an EA title, dude. It's going to be like four months and it'll already be 25% off. Well, if it doesn't do well, yeah, you're right. They'll flog it for a fiver before too long. Okay, man. It's the moment that we've all been waiting for, but me particularly. The end of the podcast. Time. It's been great talking to you all. See you no! next week. Goodbye. No! <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back. Here we go for the completionist's corner.
Okay, James. So uh, as part of this, what I didn't realize before we agreed on just how much uh, to complete of the game before we met for this week's podcast, there is a hell of a lot to cover uh, up until you sort of leave the tutorial area of the game, which is where we agreed we would get to. Mm-hmm. So let's see how this one goes. This could We could be in for a long one here. Strap in, peeps. Okay, so before we actually get into the story, I figured that I would give a little bit of a background on the game, just a very quick rundown on the events leading up to the start of the game, just to provide a little context for our listeners, because as I've just mentioned, this one's going to be pretty detail heavy, but I'll do my best to guide us through this. And will we trust? So, uh, firstly, although this game never really pins down the dates, I think we can probably assume it takes place in the near future, maybe around 100 years from now. At that point, the world still mostly resembles the one we recognise as our own. People travel, use the internet, share memes, enjoy socialising for the most part. This all changes one day, though, during an apocalyptic event that came to be known as the Death Stranding. Hey, that's the name of the game. So following the Death Stranding, the world as we know it changed overnight in a giant blast that wiped out most of humanity. The origins of the blast aren't fully understood, but it did result in any survivors being completely cut off and isolated from each other. It also resulted in the appearance of a new substance called Chiralium, as well as BTs. Go on, James, have a guess at what BT stands for, do you know? Uh, is it... Big things or black things. It's it's not. I used to think it was black things as well because yeah. they do mostly appear as sort of like black things that come out of the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's actually beached things. Ah, uh, and that makes obviously sense, that so. makes sense to you as you've played a little bit, yeah. but we'll get into that a little bit further yes. on. So these beached things, or BTs as I'll refer to them from now on, they are invisible ghosts that hunt and kill living people. The BTs come from a place called the beach, which is a sort of purgatory zone between this life and the next. And the Death Stranding, the large explosion that wiped everyone out, has also interrupted the passage of time, as well as the connections between life and death, which sort of explains the fact that the game is always set in the daytime. There's no day-night cycle, it's just a constant span of time. And it also explains the fact that these beached things or BTs appear so ghostly. So essentially they are supposedly spirits that haven't been able to migrate on to full death and they're stuck now between the beach and our world. Purgatory, as we'll mention just now. Also, a new type of dangerous weather condition called Timefall appeared following the Death Stranding. So, Timefall started as a result of the increasing levels of Chirelium in the atmosphere that came about during the Death Stranding. Although it appears as harmless rain, Timefall can be deadly if humans are exposed to it for short periods of time. If Timefall makes contact with an unprotected surface, it will cause rapid time acceleration. This can be seen pretty clearly as it causes flowers on the ground to repeatedly bloom and die, it causes metal to corrode rapidly, and any skin or living material to suddenly age and deteriorate very quickly and extremely painfully. Yeah. If you stayed out in Timefall, you'd basically look like a shriveled raisin in a very short space of time, whilst also being in absolute agony whilst it happened. Yeah, as we get a nice little demonstration of shortly. (laughs) So, as the Death Stranding triggered the Timefall rain and the arrival of the BTs into our world, everyone started living underground and basically never leaving their houses. As you can imagine, this led to a massive rise in cases of agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving your own home. And it made people almost entirely reliant on deliveries and people called porters to bring them survival essentials and food. Think FedEx, but not. So, uh, you know, around the release of this game and and during the COVID pandemic, this (laughs) became weirdly 
very close to reality for me. The amount of uh, Uber Eats (laughs) (laughs) deliveries that I was getting. I was entirely one of those people that just sort of appeared at my window collecting deliveries through the... uh, the window to my flat did you have a little hologram of yourself outside as well it's like thank you posty thank you (laughs) i always gave them a thumbs up and told them to keep on keeping on though the hero of our story sam porter bridges is actually one of those porters currently freelancing on a mission across a gloomy dark wasteland played by the very attractive norman reedus sexy bastard I think I said that in episode one. I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. Callbacks, see? Sam is on his way to make his delivery, driving an electric motorbike across a gloomy, dark wasteland, carrying some packages for his next delivery. As he is driving, he notices what looks like an upside-down rainbow in the sky, and this is actually one of the signs of impending timefall. He picks up his timefall-protected hood, and he begins to drive on. As he's driving, he spots a flock of birds and other animals trying to escape the deadly rain, and a raven actually falls from the sky, squawking and writhing as its feathers decay and begin to fall out. proper grizzly yes yeah it's sort of squeaking you also see uh uh, two deer try and make a large jump and one of them eventually falls which feels weirdly sad and depressing but one of them made it like with like six feet to spare like a really really good leap the first one the second one but But it's kind of like a pretty pretty strong mood to start the game with so in his haste to escape the time fall sam actually crashes into a woman who is uh wearing an outfit with an umbrella and she's actually standing in the path of where he's driving however the moment he makes contact with her she disappears in a sort of a bright yellow flash and the shock from this disorientates Sam as he slides and falls off his motorbike. Sam manages to recover from his crash, he collects some of the dropped packages, and makes his way into a cave for shelter. So, at that point, on entering the cave, Fragile appears in the cave, and that is actually the lady that Sam crashed into previously. And she introduces herself as the head of Fragile Express, another delivery company that provides courier services in the wasteland. Suddenly, some BTs appear in the cave... Fragile grabs Sam's arm and they hug up against a wall. The black handprints the BTs leave on the floors and walls as they move around are really only the visible signs of BTs that you can see at that point. Sam and Fragile manage to avoid the BTs by holding their breath until they pass by them. Because I don't, I don't, I think the BTs are sort of, they can't really hear too good. Yeah, they, they yeah. can't really, they can hear because if you shout, they'll come after you. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, if you hold your breath, it's only when they're really close proximity that you have to hold your breath. Yeah. Once the BTs finally leave the cave, the timefall rain eases outside and they're left with a view of five vague silhouettes floating in the sky on the horizon. So this is very mysterious that you've sort of got these figures hanging in the sky following it and also the upside down rainbow. Why is that even a thing as the sort of a triggering of the timefall? Yeah, I mean the rainbow thing I got, why it's upside down I have no idea, but the rainbow thing is because rain is the sign of timefall and the, the BTs of are Of course, coming. yeah. But upside down, that's, uh, yeah... It's also worth noting that Sam appeared to have some sort of an allergic reaction earlier when Fragile grabs his arm with her hand when the BTs arrived, and that appears as a sort of spreading skin rash that travels up his arm and down his body. You might also note that Sam reacts when he's in close quarters with the BTs as tears begin to stream from his face. Mm-hmm. Fragile notices the tears falling down on Sam's face and observes that he actually has a condition called dooms, which she also has. They don't really go much further into it than that at this point. 
No, apart from just asking, do you know what level of dooms you got? Which you don't. Exactly. So Sam explains that he is unable to see BTs directly. However, he is able to sense them, hence his allergic reactions. Ah, level two then. Exactly. Fragile (laughs) explains that this means Sam has level two dooms. So uh, the game is very careful not to overly explain much early on, and I'll try and tell this story in a similar way to sort of convey the story as best as I can. And I will naturally do that because I'm a first-time player, so... (laughs) Fragile then goes on to offer Sam a cryptobio, which is a type of living, chunky, maggot-looking organism with yeah. a small face and eight small legs. Yeah, and they fly a little bit. They do. Well, they I kind of fly, don't seem float. to observe the laws of gravity. They yeah. just kind of float around. Yeah, they seem to be in a state of anti-gravity at all times. Yeah. I'm doing a really good impression of it that you can't see on the podcast. And the cryptobiotes, uh, much similarly to the BTs, sort of typically appear in areas with high levels of chiralium, which is the element that began with the Death Stranding and is now sort of present in everything. Sam, understandably, refuses to eat the crypto bio, uh, which she then gladly chomps down on. She also removes one of her gloves at a certain point during the conversation to show Sam that she was doused from the neck downwards in timefall at one point in her life, resulting in all of her skin other than her head being severely aged. During this encounter, Sam is very gruff, uh, not keen to socialise or reveal much about himself. A theme that continues throughout the game, from what I yeah, can see so absolutely, far. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a building theme here of Sam avoiding others and uh, not wanting to be in contact. It's my guy right uh, there. <laughs> including visibly recoiling uh, when she reaches out to touch him. Although none of this really seems to bother Fragile that much. On exiting the cave, Sam also retrieves a Polaroid photo that he'd dropped of himself standing with two other women. Uh, one is an older woman and very well dressed. The other woman in the photo is pregnant but her face is obscured as it's been stained by some timefall landing on the photo. So at this point, we can at least assume that the pregnant woman is probably Sam's wife. So after collecting all of his things, Fragile disappears in another flash, and Sam gets a move on to his destination at Central Knot City. He then drops off his packages to a woman called Mama, who appears via a hologram panel. She'll be important later, but for now, back to the story. So, very quickly, uh, holograms in this game are actually called chirograms. Uh, If this sounds familiar, it's because they're powered by Corellium, the substance that appeared in the atmosphere following the Death Stranding. Over time, humans actually managed to collect and harness the power of Corellium, and much of the technology in this world is actually powered by chiral energy rather than electricity. So, as Sam plays through, he'll notice... A lot of the technology in the world relies on the use of this chiral energy. However, humanity doesn't really understand how it works per se, and it's compared to in the game as almost like a caveman discovering fire for the first time. It's just sort of magic and works. All of this just works. And I guess desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Because all of the electricity grids have been absolutely evaporated. Absolutely. You use any leg up that you can. So, almost immediately after dropping off the packages at Central Knot City, Sam gets a priority order through the terminal and a big van rolls up a van on stilts by the looks of it you know you see in like wacky races back in the day of some of our younger viewers potentially any sort of cartoon right where they're about to freaking drive over something really like in the way of the road like a, a big hump or something and they extend the car upwards almost on like stilts or like almost a spring of some description yeah it looks like the highest yeah. suspension available yeah. ever think a cherry picker but like a car for seemingly no reason as well i'm not quite sure why it does this 
at this point because it's just on a road. That's but, right. Yeah. yeah, it slowly sort of lowers down once it arrives and allows yeah. the uh, the people to disembark. Yeah, but then when you're when you're driving in the wilderness in a bit, you're just at normal height. So I really they stay it's, low. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but... I don't really get it. So inside the van is a man named Igor along with his driver. He introduces himself as part of the Bridges Corpse disposal team. So after avoiding shaking Igor's hands. Igor remembers that he was told that Sam has some type of phobia, but he then goes on to tell Sam that he has a corpse in the back of his truck, the body has been dead for roughly 40 hours, and according to Sam, is showing signs of early necrosis. Now, in this world of the Death Stranding, if a person dies, their body must be cremated pretty quickly after their death as the process of someone crossing over into the afterlife will spawn a BT. If a BT consumes a living human, it will trigger something called a void out, which is essentially just another massive explosion. Think nuclear bomb style. Basically, yeah. Uh, so this explosion is triggered via the antimatter of the BTs interacting with the living matter of the normal world. And this sort of connection of two irreconcilable elements causes, as James has just said, a nuclear level explosion, enough to level an entire city. The epicenter of the blast is devastated, like just yeah. nothing there. So as you can imagine, it's it's pretty important to get these bodies cooked before they trigger one of these void outs. Sam reasonably asks why they can't just incinerate the body here. So the reason why they can't burn the body right then and there is the fact that doing so would release dangerous levels of corellium into the nearby atmosphere, and this would attract BTs to the city. Igor also explains that the body was discovered on the outskirts of the city and it was a suspected suicide. Very inconsiderate. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's a fair point. Uh, you know, absolutely, that, uh, you know, doing this would absolutely wipe out the lives of potentially thousands of people around. So this yeah. is a, a a decision that doesn't quite make sense and, uh, and would be considered very inconsiderate, I think, on any level. <laughs> well, yeah, and particularly, I think, the proximity to the city like if you're gonna do it and you know that this is gonna happen fuck off ages away do you know what i mean yeah yeah because <laughs> this is like a major city right this is like it's yeah like, it's not it's not the capital but it's like a major yeah. piece of the chain you know what i mean absolutely yeah. absolutely so igor tells sam that he has been recruited to do this mission especially because he has the condition called dooms and therefore that can help with detecting the bts due to the allergic reactions that he has you also learn that sam is something called a repatriate which we'll get onto later on in the episode sam explains he is only able to sense the bts not see them so Igor explains that they also have a device called a bridge baby which enables them to see BTs via a connection to their suits so they essentially use these bridge babies as a tool to help with detection of BTs for people that don't typically have dooms and, and from this... now on we will be referring to bridge babies as BBs Thank you. <laughs> Sam eventually agrees to accompany Igor and his driver in the van to the incinerator. So on their way to the incinerator, while Sam and Igor are in the back of the truck with the body, they're hit by a heavy episode of timefall, and the truck suddenly stalls, which is pretty standard uh, when timefall begins, as you're driving a vehicle in the game, or any sort of electricity will be interrupted by a short EMP pulse as the timefall begins. Yeah, and the other interesting thing that happens in this little scene is that whilst they're driving along and as the timefall is beginning you can actually see what i assume is the chiral matter coming out of the body as it starts you can to, it's sort of rising up as yeah. if it's defying the laws of gravity as it sort of starts to go through more sort of the second phase of necrosis if you like absolutely so after stalling they manage to get going again but the bts are beginning to close in so eventually the bts attack and smash the driver's side window causing the driver to crash <laughs> Thank you. 
which is actually a really cool scene because you see it from the driver's perspective and he can't see anything. It looks like a cloudburst going on his windshield. Like, if you use your imagination, you can imagine the hand hitting the window, but you just see, like, almost a sound wave. Really cool stuff. And you see the rain move slightly. So, following the crash, Sam wakes up in the mud, stained with a little blood, and uh, notices Igor attempting to free the driver of the overturned truck. What a hero. Yeah. But so the driver it's all is... in futility because he's f***ing crushed. Both Igor and the driver are making quite a bit of noise, as you can imagine. Yeah. The driver isn't protected at all on his head, and time falls is falling on his face and that's obviously causing him to age quite rapidly and yell out in pain yeah. none of this is good news for the bts that are slowly closing in no you remember that bit earlier where will was like oh yeah and it just makes you look like a drive grape in like seconds and it's really painful yeah this that yeah, yeah. <laughs> go watch the cutscene. Yeah. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sam uh then tells them to be quiet and not even to breathe if possible but by this point, it's too late. He looks around to see the corpse in the body bag shaking violently and gold flakes are now rising from its face. And then it's suddenly pulled underground by black figures rising from the ground. Sam looks up and sees the silhouette of a BT hanging above where the corpse was laying. Suddenly, more black figures rise from the ground over where Igor is helping the driver and they actually carry the driver off. Igor just about manages to shoot the driver as he's being carried away. And this is to avoid triggering a void out, because the last thing he wants is that living guy to be consumed by a BT. To Igor's side, a cloaked figure with a gold mask sort of slowly descends and lands on top of the overturned truck. You might also notice at this point, James, that he also appears to have a bridge baby device or a BB device. The figure is pretty mysterious. Uh, he certainly doesn't resemble a BT. He's definitely human. Yeah. He holds a finger to his mouth before sort of continuing to observe Igor struggling. Uh, Igor is now at this point attempting to shoot the BTs he's surrounded by with no effect. Uh, you know, much as they're invisible, you also can't hit them with physical objects. The ground also begins to swell with like a thick black liquid and the truck slowly begins to sink into the sludge as well as any objects around it. Yeah, it really reminds me of the grease spell from D&D that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, no, I think you're yeah. right there. Just <laughs> like the visuals of it, it's, it's like oil. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, like a thick tar. So the black figures that were emerging from the ground previously redouble their efforts and begin to grab Igor this time. Just as he's about to be sucked up, Igor chucks Sam, the bridge baby that was connected to his suit, and tells him to run before turning the gun on himself. So at this point, he puts the gun underneath his chin, is just about to end his life to once again avoid another void out. Just at that moment though, as he attempts to pull the trigger and end his life, he is yanked upwards by an unseen force and actually drops his gun. And in this scene, in a pretty heroic attempt, he removes a knife from his belt and begins desperately stabbing at his own chest to kill himself before being taken upwards. Unfortunately, this is too little too late, and Sam ends up looking up to see a giant black figure in the sky, with sort of strand-like structures appearing from its hands coming down into the earth. Pretty much at this point, everything around Sam starts to rise up into the air as if it's completely going against the laws of gravity, and Sam's vision is just completely whited out as an explosion emanates from the black figure sort of consumes everything. Sam suddenly wakes up in a brand new place, 
uh, on a beach with black sand and on a very gloomy overcast day. At this point, he's completely naked, except for a pair of silver dog tags around his neck and a glowing wristband. He looks over to see the bridge baby out of its container this time and crying on the sand. Poor baby. Poor baby. Sam picks up the baby and cradles it as he suddenly starts to begin to cry quite intently as well. When he opens his eyes, the baby has disappeared in his embrace and small black handprints begin to trail down his leg onto the sand and away from him. As Sam begins to stand, you can also see what appears to be a C-section scar on his stomach. Just another example of the game chucking information that makes no sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam begins looking around the beach and in the distance he sees again five dark figures up on the horizon of the beach, but this time rather than being sort of very vague figures, they're very definite dark figures in the sky. Yeah. Sam is then approached by a blonde woman in a red dress singing London Bridge is Falling Down. Yeah, in like a really creepy way. London Bridge is falling down My fair lady Yeah, it's kind of like the same way that little girls sing songs in horror movies. Yeah. So the lady walks into the sea and Sam starts to follow her. Yeah, without even without acknowledging Sam, I might add as well at this point, just sort of walk straight past him. Absolutely, she's yeah. just sort of singing to herself, kind of meandering towards the ocean. Sam starts to follow her, but then as he gets around sort of knee height in the water, he's suddenly sucked underneath. And at that point, he's sucked deep underneath the ocean, far deeper than he would have been able to suddenly get out. Yeah. And then as he looks above him, he sees this dark shape travel above him, which makes a noise. It looks like some sort of giant creature. So under the sea, you now appear to be a disembodied floating spirit surrounded by sorts of unmoving dark human silhouettes as well as various other sea creatures like fish and stuff like that yeah so this is actually the location where sam goes to when he dies and due to his status as a repatriate as i mentioned earlier so in order to come back to life you need to find sam's body in this area and repatriate so as you do this the camera sort of zooms into sam's throat and down into his chest cavity and you see the bridge baby sort of randomly appear in his chest and give a sort of a little wink or a thumb suck before the camera suddenly shoots back out of sam's mouth again Quite disturbing, sort of yeah. having the baby embedded deep within his chest. I'm not really sure what that's about, but uh, that's what you see. And it's also a bit of an odd one because, like, I thought it was in his throat, right? So yeah. I was there thinking, how the f*** is that baby's head in a throat? Fit in his throat, yeah. Because it looks like there's room in there as well. Like, it's yeah. bizarre, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and can I just say, like, my initial response when I saw that scene was I thought that it was going to be something to do with, like, the soul of the baby is what brings him back to life or oh, something. right. Okay, I, yeah. I've now seen a bit more of the game and I no longer think like that but that's just that was what I thought initially I thought you were going to have an infinite supply of babies and that was going to be your, <laughs> your like one ups or whatever oh my god you just collect babies yeah. and keep trash canning them every time you die that yeah. would be amazing well, that's, that's, what, they, that's yeah. what they want you to do isn't it <laughs> Um, yeah, basically. I mean, uh, th this will come sort of into play a bit later on. But yeah, these babies are absolutely seen as tools for a workplace use. They are yeah. not sort of treated with any sort of empathy. They're kind of just babies suspended in a liquid floating in a glass jar. Yeah. So after this disturbing imagery of the baby being down Sam's throat, Sam suddenly sees a vision of a mysterious man who is portrayed by Mads Mikkelsen speaking to the camera as if they were the bridge baby themselves. So it appears in this 
seen that you're viewing it through the eyes of the bridge baby kept in a container. Now, this mysterious man is clearly in a rush and is doing something quite urgent, and the vision is sort of suddenly cut short when Sam wakes up and then he vomits a load of black goo up, very similar to the black goo that rises out of the ground, and also, you know, a good handful of crypto biotes as well, which, as James said earlier, as he throws them up, they sort of float into the sky away. <laughs> As Sam looks up, he is standing on the edge of a giant crater with the bridge baby safely back in its container. That crater being what was at one point, in fact very shortly ago, Central Knot City. Yeah, where you were just jamming. So, that is the end of the prologue, James. On we move on to episode one, yeah. Bridget. The actual prologue, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> the actual actual prologue yeah. this time it's because it is worth noting at this point you haven't really played anything yet no you've you've probably had control of sam for all of about five minutes as you wandered into that cave earlier and then eventually yeah. onwards there from to the delivery point yeah you've got enough time to uh yeah just learn how to walk <laughs> and you're probably about 40 minutes into the game at this point i want to say <laughs> it is a game right but it's portrayed almost like a television series yeah so like the chapters are called episodes and that was like that was basically the pilot right you've been set you've had the scene set and you're now moving into the actual what the f you know and it's a cool it's a cool way of doing it yeah and i mean kojima's always valued cinematography in his games it's kind of a staple of a lot of his game design metal gear solid i think was the first one for me when you start to realize yeah. oh my god this is half a movie as well you know well that's the thing it's funny um, we will move on quickly because i know we've got a lot to get through but you say that about kojima. i haven't played as many kojima games as you the only ones i've played is um, metal gear 3 the first bit of metal gear 1 that i did for the challenge and then and then this and in all three of them, you can see that Kojima is sort of a game designer first, but a director in a very close second. Yes, and he bills himself as such yeah. in a lot of his titles as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but He also bills himself as God yeah. in Metal Gear Solid 4, so <laughs> <laughs> he gets pretty free and easy with it. Yeah, you know. And when I used to see that shit before, I was like, oh, come on, mate, behave. But now I've actually played a few more of his games, and you can see like what I'll call the Kojima hallmarks. Yes, absolutely. It's just like, yeah, yeah. it's actually legit. So... On to episode one, Sam this time wakes up in the middle of a dark room, handcuffed to a bed. It's not very nice, is it? No, not very nice at all. He's not very happy about that whatsoever. Yeah. And he's back to wearing what appears to be a dream catcher around his neck. So at this point, a person appears called Dead Man, who is actually portrayed by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Although I believe voiced by someone else. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're not using his voice. So actually, this is kind of on the back of the cancelled Silent Hills title that was due to be produced by Kojima and Guillermo del Toro. That Death Stranding ended up being made. You can tell that a lot of the horror, spooky influences led over into Death Stranding. If that Silent Hill game was to be made, I would have loved to have seen what kind of what actually ended up in Death Stranding, if anything at all. Well, did del Toro actually have anything to do or any collab work with the? Uh, story of death stranding to my knowledge he was there as sort of as as, as a lot of of the actors are in this game he was there as a, a close friend of kojima's sort of thing to play a cameo role yeah so it didn't have nothing to do with the, the story or anything not to my knowledge no so this person called dead man works for a company called bridges and sam is in one of their facilities currently 
in one of their private rooms, in fact. Deadman assures Sam that the handcuffs are actually only for his protection, and he shows Sam that he's also wearing his own pair as well. Deadman goes on to explain that the handcuffs are actually a way of keeping people connected, and they monitor Sam's vitals and act as a map, communications device, and many other things you expect your iPhone to do. And a Kodak. Absolutely, yeah, I like I like that subtle mention. There's a couple subtle mentions to Metal Gear Solid in this scene as well. Number one being the Kodak calls, yeah. and at some point or another he explains to you that if there is a void out, it's game over, man. And then the sort of Metal Gear Solid game over screen appears as he does it in a hologram. Deadman also rather creepily explains that while Sam's been sleeping, they've been collecting fluid samples from him. And he kind of yeah. does this in a very weird, fetishistic way. Yeah, and he like takes real glee in saying fluids as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's creepy. And he also explains Sam's ability to repatriate and return to life after death also makes him very special indeed, which is uh, another little bit there. It's not everyone has this ability. Nah, and of course we do, because we're the protagonist. There's got to be something special about the protagonist. Exactly. Deadman tells you that Central Knot City, the place where you got picked up by Igor previously, was completely annihilated in the Void Out explosion. Basically, the only survivors of the blast were Sam and the Bridge Baby, which Deadman goes on to explain is broken and currently scheduled for disposal. Central Knot City was a great loss to Bridges in terms of the amount of research that they collected there. But luckily, all the leaders and military people were out of town at the time. Exactly, yes. Yeah. That's it's convenient, isn't it? Convenient coincidence there. Yeah. So as a result, they're now set up at their base in capital not city in a place called Sudbury so this is where you're currently located at the time and as James mentioned earlier because all of the leaders were out of town at the time the chain of command that was at central not city now remains intact at capital not city so Deadman, after reaching out to touch Sam also comments on the fact that he recoils and kind of observes that Sam has a condition called aphanthosomphomia which is an anxiety disorder triggered by a fear of touching which explains his reluctance to be close with fragile and also to shake Igor's hand earlier. Yeah. And this is a very kind of, again, fitting in with Sam's mood and the fact that he's unwilling to sort of engage with people. He likes to be on his own. It all kind of ties into the same sort of thing, that he is very antisocial. As I mentioned before, Deadman works for Bridges, who are an organisation with the main purpose of reconnecting people and rebuilding America following the Death Stranding. Building bridges. Hence bridges. Absolutely, yes. Very on-the-nose names here, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Deadman also asks you to urgently bring the American president, who is in a building close by, some morphine, as they are in the final stages of cancer and in a critical condition. President of America? I thought America was destroyed. What the f***? That's pretty much what Sam says. Sam also discovers Deadman is appearing to him as another chiral gram, like a hologram, and he's actually in an isolation ward over with the president. Sam is rightfully suspicious, and correctly guesses that the morphine delivery isn't really the real reason why he's there. Deadman finally relents and tells him that the president wants to speak to him before they die, so Sam eventually agrees. Reluctantly though, it's worth noting. Sam strolls over to the isolation ward and meets Deadman, this time actually in person. Deadman informs you that the president has suddenly deteriorated and is in her final moments. At this point, Deadman also reminds Sam that the last president of the United States is actually your mother and the one who raised you. Which I didn't see coming at all. It's kind of out of the blue. Yeah, who would, would have guessed yeah. that the president is your mum? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On his way in, Sam encounters a man called Die Hard Man. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Which is best name ever yeah. for a goddamn character in a video game. Die Hard Man, you kidding me? I actually thought it was D-Hard Man, which would be German for The Hard Man. Yeah, The Hard, no. But it is Die Hard Man, like, they say that. It is, they do yeah. say Die Hard Man. So on entering, Dead Man, who is, again, 
Portrayed by Guillermo del Toro, notices that Sam and Die Hard Man actually know each other already, as they were both part of a company called Bridges One in the past. Yeah, I think they said 10 years ago or something? That's about right, yeah. yeah. So Die Hardman greets Sam and refers to both himself and Sam as deathless freaks, <laughs> implying that Die Hard Man is also capable of repatriation as well. Little interesting tidbit there. Yeah. So these two clearly have some undisclosed history going on amongst themselves. Also worth noting at this point that um, Die Hard Man, you never actually well, to this point at least you never see his face he's wearing a big old metal mask yeah a metal mask over his face so his identity kind of is a bit of a mystery although sam does seem to know who he is i figure that the, the reason he's wearing a mask is because he's like been rained on that's my guess mm-hmm. but i don't know yeah. all will become clear is that the, yeah. as sam approaches his mother aka the president of america aka bridget strand She's on her deathbed, she opens her eyes and greets him. She explains that a person Sam knows called Amelie left Bridges around three years ago and is currently attempting to rebuild America by connecting people and making America whole. Sam expresses that he feels like America is long finished at that point. Everyone's now cut off and people are just trying to survive. Nothing more than that really, so he is not interested in helping out Amelie. Bridget obviously doesn't pay any attention to that. She asks Sam to go and find Amelie and help her rebuild America. But she becomes pretty distressed at Sam's refusal to help and suddenly kind of lunges at him outside of her bed. Which, considering she's dying, is kind of weird. Yeah, she didn't think this one through. She causes herself to topple from her bed and land on Sam. And at this point, various wires that were connecting her to medical equipment kind of snap off and begin to leak the black fluid all over the floor and over Bridget. Which, again, is kind of slightly reminiscent to this weird black tar substance. And actually, she starts crawling towards Sam, and you notice the black handprints of Bridget yeah. resembling the uh, the handprints of the BTs as they travel towards people in real life. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I don't really get why that's a thing because you don't really see black stuff in a you know like you'd see a drip or something you don't see anything like that it's only when it becomes unplugged yeah i just imagine that it's like i don't know future juice something to do with chiral energy like that the, yeah. perhaps working out medical applications for chiralium i guess it probably is but i but like you've just said i remember thinking like that's just the bt stuff kojima has got a lot of weird references and repeating patterns in his games i'm not sure whether all of them make sense i'm not sure. i think that's just meant to be like a, oh that's kind of resembles the bts i don't know whether it has much significance i don't know we'll see we'll see hit me up in the comments if you do know but don't hit me up because i don't want to know i'm still playing james yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) you need to avoid youtube comments at all costs so as bridget is crawling towards sam on the floor leaving these handprints everywhere. Sam's pretty distracted by all of this. Bridget actually manages to input a command into his glowing wrist bracelet, which at this point we'll also start calling Cufflinks. Again, pretty on-the-nose name there, Cuff Link. It's a link, a connection, a strand. (laughs) So just as Bridget begins to falter, she whispers to Sam, I'll be waiting for you on the beach. And falls unconscious. Yeah, whilst touching him, which she knows he hates. Yeah, Sam is really looking very uncomfortable at this point as his mother is kind of sprawled over him, basically. Yeah. As she whispers her last words, you also see a brief glimpse of the woman Sam saw on the beach in his dream. So at this point, it becomes pretty obvious that the red woman who you saw on the beach previously is in fact Amelie, who you were discussing with Bridget earlier. 
Sam also looks over to see his Polaroid on the floor again. He really needs to take better care of this thing. It's it's yeah. just always flopping out all over the place. Well, he just puts it like in his chest. Is that what it? Yeah, like, is that loose, what it is? Loosely, just... like under, his, like when he's got his um, jumpsuit on, he just puts it loosely, like in his chest. I don't think there's a top pocket on the t-shirt. That is not a good place for safekeeping, Sam. When Sam looks over to see his Polaroid, it's now clear that the older woman in the photo was actually Bridget, his mother. But who is the pregnant lady in the photo? Is it Amelie? Well, considering that my assumption at this point was that that woman was Sam's wife, and the fact that Bridget clearly explains Amelie as her daughter, unless there's some sort of incestuous brother-sister thing going on here. Hey, in a Kojima game, anything could happen. Yeah, I mean, never (laughs) But at this point, (laughs) I had to assume that the woman in the photo was in fact not Amelie, but the obscured face was there to sort of be a bit of a red herring as to whether it is Amelie. But at this point, who knows? It's all up in the air. I've got to say, at this point, I thought it was Amelie. When I first saw the picture, I never clocked wife. I always thought sister. I thought mum, sister, him. And I didn't actually clock she was pregnant, to be perfectly honest with you. Ah, well, I mean, in this situation, I'm definitely not explaining anything before we sort of get too deep in to it so at the moment this is all sort of purely speculation exactly right but then when that whole scene happens and they have that conversation that just doubled down in my mind that it was amelie in the picture yeah yeah so we'll see this is kind of what i was looking forward to doing as well is is you know uh, i'm very familiar with this game and now i'm speaking to someone that's on their first way through this i think it's you know it's a really good opportunity to sort of see two different sides of the coin yeah So at this point, obviously, Bridget is basically sprawled out on the floor over Sam and dead man, diehard man and a team of medics rush in, but they ultimately aren't able to save the president and she flatlines. Die Hardman makes it very clear to Sam that he wants to hide the fact that the president is dead to avoid people losing hope of the whole dream of rebuilding America because she's sort of acting as the figurehead for that. Yeah, it's sort of mentions that Bridget has been the figurehead of this sort of movement for a number of years. This isn't like something that's just popped up. Like she's been working on it for quite no, some time. No, this is kind of yeah, this like, is a, a great portion of her life's work. Yeah, like is, family is legacy type deal, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, as you do in this world, Die Hardman asks Sam to burn the corpse, but it must be done in the utmost secrecy to avoid any sort of suspicion that the president is dead. Die Hardman also tells you that the contract that sneaky Bridget managed to input into Sam's cufflinks was to actually help Bridges with rebuilding America. So now he's contractually obligated into doing this now. Yeah, despite his many, many reservations. Yes, yeah. However, uh, the most urgent priority before he gets on with rebuilding America is getting that body into an incinerator. Go burn your mum, mate. Just real quick before you save the world, can you just go burn your mum? The other incinerator that was near Central Knot that you travelled to before got destroyed in the blast following the void out. So the only other one is currently reachable on foot. But there is a catch. The area in between has a high level of chiral density in the atmosphere, which indicates a high presence of the BTs. Knowing all of that, Sam straps a body bag to his back with his mother inside (laughs) and off he goes. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting this bit either. Yeah, it's just, it's a very humanoid shaped body bag just kind of perched on your back. But it's done in such a way that it's almost like she's sitting up. Yes, she's kind of perched on a seat on your back. yeah, I, would very have thought, I would have thought you'd want like a lengthways body sort of almost across your back like a barbell if you're squatting for better weight <laughs> right, distribution, okay. right? As opposed to someone sitting up like on your back. I, I do know what you're saying. I yeah. guess it's kind of one of those ones where the weight dispersion would be most equal if you could constantly stay in a state of leaning forwards and essentially falling forwards with the seated. Because I can imagine like legs to head ratio, that is going to be a difference in weight. So it'd be very hard to get it perfectly level without having one side slightly unequal. That is true, but she like she's only 50 kilos. I know. 
Like, okay. <laughs> I, it's, it's an old one. She's a little old, old woman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's had cancer for God knows how long as well. She's definitely like not even a regular weighted elderly yeah, lady either. Exactly. So as Sam makes his way outside of Capital Not City, you find your first placed structure of the game. So in this case, it's a watchtower built by a guy called Nick Easton who you've yet to meet, but he's actually a guy that handles the deliveries for Capital Not City. I remember first so, like, being aware of the name Nick Easton because it was like, if I found a lost package, it's like, oh yeah, you found Nick Easton's lost package. It's like, who's this That's sh- right. Who's this sh- courier, man? <laughs> no one does their job as good as Sam, that's for sure. No. Uh, so this watchtower allows you to get a quick bird's eye view on the surrounding environment. It typically helps you in the future with plotting routes on the journey. Uh, you can also find packages this way as various other interesting things that you can pick up because as you'll be exploring the land later on down the game you'll notice that there are various lost packages scattered around the landscape which sam can help retrieve and get to their original destination yeah or at least help it along the way partially maybe leave it in a post box as opposed to just out in the wilderness absolutely structures like this can be upgraded over time using scavenge materials to provide better benefits and there's sort of a wide range of these structures that you can build as we get further on into the game can I just quickly ask at this point, how permanent are those structures? They disintegrate over time due to time fall. Yeah, absolutely. They're pretty... You Basically, at the rate that we're playing the game, you'll get to the bit after we're getting to before you start getting warnings that your ladder's in the training area starting to deteriorate. Oh, oh you get warnings. All right, I, I haven't had any warnings. That's what I mean. You, you'll be playing for a while first. I spent ages in the tutorial zone and I got into like the first bit of the second area before I started getting warnings on mine. So like, honestly, you could complete this game without ever needing to go back and rebuild anything easily. It's only if you're a long-term player and you want to stay in forever that you're going to have to maintain your methods of transport and stuff like that. Fair, cool. Perhaps that changes based on what difficulty you're on. That makes sense. Because it's yeah. like server server side. Sort exactly, of yeah. I also noticed that you liked one of my signs as well, so thank you. For I that. did, yeah. yes, I did. So you can establish bridge links between players, and yeah. I made sure to do that straight away once I saw one of your signs. I'm looking out for your stuff, but I haven't seen one yet. I haven't really done much, to be honest with you, because I'm kind of like rushing through it, but I will start to do it now I found your sign, because now we have a consistent link. And basically any structure I place that has got a pretty good likelihood that it'll appear for you and vice versa. And I want to get into that asynchronous multiplayer, but not this episode. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fine, yeah. I'm going to just touch on it, though, to say you might also notice while you approach the Watchtower that you can also like this structure in a very similar fashion to how you like things on Facebook. Yeah. You do this by pressing a button on your controller to send likes to Nick Easton for helping Sam. We'll get into the reason for the existence of likes some other time, uh, but for now, we'll move on with our journey. Also, on the way to the incinerator, you might also notice that you occasionally bump into golden objects rising from the ground that seem to resemble pointy, large, golden hands. Yeah. Uh, But for now... Sam can't collect these just yet, so let's move on. Despite my many attempts at trying. Along this journey, the camera also pulls back and you're treated to a song called Bones by Low Raw. And this is kind of one of the few hiking scenes where it gets all scenic. A song plays by a musical artist that Kojima liked at the time. And uh, it's kind of meant to be a nice time to reflect. Although, when I spoke about this to you earlier this week, you mentioned that some of them felt quite out of place to you. Yeah, not this one specifically, because this one was done in such a way, again, going back to Kojima's sort of being a director, the camera like properly zooms out like, yeah. so that Sam's almost a, a sort of 
really small dot on the screen and you can just see the whole that's right in front of you. i love to see those yeah. bits and for that with the music it worked fine i'm talking about when you're just walking in the wilderness randomly and like nothing yeah. changes and then a song just comes on that was a bit out of place i wonder are you talking about you'll be walking past a structure and it starts playing music i have noticed that too it might be a structure that i hadn't seen or something and they just came on it's a completely different experience playing Death Stranding offline because it feels so like isolating. Whereas you play it like online, it's like lit up with neon everywhere. That's the thing. Yeah, I would not. Like I a... would normally play offline because that's how I like to play games, first time especially. But I remember you saying about the how the worlds get affected. I mean, yeah. I mean, like you definitely. It's it's worth a try offline, but like yeah, it's, offline it's would like, be a second playthrough where I try and do yeah, it very seriously. Hard hard mode. Yeah, because yeah. online the asynchronous there's a lot more for you to discover in terms of how players can help you than what you've seen already yeah. a lot more uh, well you get like double the amount of likes as well i mean yeah yeah absolutely so yeah yeah so that alone is huge probably not double but you get a lot more as you're on this journey to the incinerator you might also find ladders and ropes along the route left by igor from corpse disposal so there you go good old good guy igor he's helping you from beyond the grave yeah Good lad. Igor, uh, for anyone that doesn't remember, is the guy who got sucked upwards by the timefall at the beginning of the game. Yeah, the one who tried to kill himself and threw a baby <laughs> at you. These ladders and ropes are also likeable, much like the watchtower that we bumped into earlier. And again, you can send a few likes to Igor from beyond the grave for his help. You eventually arrive outside the incinerator building, fairly unimpeded at that point, other than a few environmental factors. Yeah, depending on which route you pick, of course. And just as you arrive, you hear the bridge baby make some sort of gurgling noise. And for me, at least, probably for the first time, you notice the additional package that you're also carrying alongside the body bag. So without paying too much attention to that, Sam heads on inside and places his mother, the president, in the incinerator. Once she starts burning, predictably, the chiralium levels in the atmosphere increase and timeful rain begins outside. You're told by your team that BTs are very likely on their way and to get out of there pretty much as soon as possible. Sam, what's your status? Chirelium density is still increasing. My status is f***ed. But before you do that, Die Hard Man does tell you to also ditch the bridge baby too. Sam's pretty reluctant because he unpackages the package and has basically a baby in a glass container staring back up at him and he doesn't really feel like sticking that in the incinerator, understandably. He does have a weird affinity with the baby that, you know, we'll find out more about. The affinity between them, like, that we'll get into, but yeah. straight away there's a there's a bond there sort of thing between yeah. them. Especially, and this is obviously, you know, quite poignant for Sam, who rejects any sort of social contact, exactly, typically. Yeah. As the BTs begin to close in and enter the incinerator building, Sam decides to plug in the BB into his suit instead. He experiences another vision of the mystery man Sam saw before from the BB's perspective, uh, this time with a siren going on in the background, and the man looks like he's been attacked. And he's also apologising to an unseen person he refers to as Captain. Mm. Sam suddenly snaps out of his vision, and the bridge baby starts working as intended after a few taps on the glass from Sam. Yeah, despite being told it was defective, eh? Absolutely. The bridge baby, or BB, then connects to Sam's scanner, which is called an Odra deck, and helps Sam escape from the building, away from the BTs, and outside of the area of Timefall. At this point, how did you get on with this bit, James? You've sort of got to sneak outside the incinerator room past a small army of BTs and get back to the path that you came in on. 
Yeah, I, I honestly didn't struggle at all with this, I think, because I just crouched the whole time. Yeah, you, that's a very good start. Yeah, yeah, you need to sneak properly around these guys. So I crouched and... Um, hold your breath whenever you need to. Yeah, I, I, I was doing that probably too much because I was just it was just like, hold your breath when you can. Try not to breathe sort of thing in the cutscenes. It keeps on coming up on the screen telling you to hold your breath. That isn't necessarily a sign that you need to do it then. Yeah. It's just a prompt, which is confusing. So I just I had quite an easy time. Um, when I came in, I took the gentle path. Um, yep, as opposed okay, to any yep, of the mountainous yep. ones, because I didn't have any ladders and shit myself. So I was just like, I, I don't want to risk going that way just in case I need mm, something. Mm, smart decision. So I just sort of, I didn't really have to change my route at all, really. I just, I think I went slightly more over a hill as opposed to round into the valley bit where the path is. But yeah. that was only because I got the really, really harsh scan for the BB. Yeah. That's right. So this Odradex scanner is essentially kind of like an arm that comes out of Sam's backpack and it yeah. very closely resembles a hand, in fact. it's It's got the sort of the digits on it as well as the thumb. As you get close to a BT, it sort of turns in the direction it's facing and it clicks uh, with increasing frequency the closer you get to them, eventually turning into like a spinning orange light. And the way it works with the BTs, at least in my experience, is once you get to a certain point where you're far enough away, normally when the rain stops, in all honesty, but a bit before that, they just don't follow you anymore. Yeah, they're they're very much only following the weather pattern. Yeah. They won't follow you outside of an area of timefall. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't too eventful, this one. Good. Well, good on you, man. I think that at this point, in all honesty, on my first playthrough of this game, I did get chased, but I was able to escape. Right. This time around, much like you, I was able to escape with little to no issues whatsoever. Yeah, worth noting at this point, at this point, I was sort of, in gaming terms, petrified about what they might do to me if they caught me. Absolutely, yeah. Because at this you, point, you have no weapons. It's the unknown. <laughs> you have you don't really have any armor or anything to speak of, and, and that's what I look for in a game initially before I know what's going on. So I was just like, yeah, damn, I, I don't want to get caught by these things. I just want to get away. So I was taking it like really slow, really serious, and then managed to get away luckily so at yeah, this point at this point yeah. i was relieved but also still a little bit on edge because i don't know what i don't know because i haven't been caught i don't know what happens what's the risk exactly. what is there to bargain with what does death even mean in this game exactly you, know you can come back but what does it cost you that's it i know none of this stuff as we've said we both managed to get out of that situation unharmed and sam turns around on arriving back at capital knot you see another upside down rainbow and the five vague figures in the sky once again as you descend the ramp dead man radios in while sam is traveling down the elevator to say it's a miracle sam survived that encounter and that typically people with dooms affliction like sam fragile and die hardman they're not typically compatible with these bts and there's a real risk of fears and emotions being amplified to a level where there's actually a real physical risk to the user as well as the bridge baby. So once again, Deadman really reiterates the need for disposal of the malfunctioning bridge baby. Sam naturally decides to once again, before he gets down to his private room, plug the BB in again, and he sees yet another vision of the same mystery man as before, this time with blood on his face, and the man is comforting the bridge baby and singing a lullaby song. Very creepy. On entering the Capital Not Underground, Sam explains that the Bridge Baby saved his life, basically, and Deadman finally relents and agrees to keep the Bridge Baby safe. Under the proviso that I'm allowed to play with it and make sort of calibrate it to you. Yeah, he gets to tinker with it in the background as well. Yeah. Sam then returns to his private room for a quick nap, and whilst he's sleeping, Sam dreams about being on the beach back again observing Amelie, who is wearing a red dress, as usual, and is giving Sam, who is appearing in this vision as a child, she is giving him the dreamcatcher that he's been wearing since the start of the game, and telling him to keep it safe. And there we finish chapter one, on to chapter two, Amelie. 
So Sam once again wakes up in his private room, and this is actually the first time that you get a chance to control what's going on in his private room. To this point, you still haven't really played much. I mean, other than that short trip up to the incinerator and back, avoiding the BTs, that really is your big chunk of gameplay that you've got. This is a lot of setup, a lot of cutscenes early on. So this is like ratio probably 70-30 cutscene to gameplay at this point. Maybe that's being generous. I think that's probably about right. Currently, yeah. yeah. Not for the overall game, but currently, yeah. For the first first two chapters, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like prologue and chapter one. You'll also notice a few things inside this room. Sam, number one, he kind of weirdly interacts with the camera as if it's actually like a living being. Yeah. So, for instance, you can look at some figurines that he has that appear to be sort of 3D printed figurines behind his bed. And if you click on them, he sort of grabs the camera and pulls it towards him and his shelf so you can get a better look at them. Sort yeah. of and thing. he looks into the camera as he does it as well. That's right. And as you observe Sam, he'll sort of react and his eyes will follow the camera. So he's constantly looking at the player as you move around. At this point, have you noticed that if you click the right stick, you can zoom in? Uh, I hadn't noticed that, no. I hadn't clicked in the right stick. Okay, so if you click the right stick, you can zoom in. Uh, There's a little fun fact here. You can actually use the camera to flick around and... This is, again, like a very Kojima kind of thing. He includes loads of little Easter eggs in his games. I won't tell you what he does, James, but just go ahead and take a closer look at Sam's private parts every so often. What, in the just, shower? Just, no, not in the shower, just while he's sitting on his bed, kind of hanging around. Just okay. keep zooming in on his private parts and treat yourself to that. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for the tip. You little pervert. There's actually another scene. Uh, if You you may well have passed the opportunity to do this, but Sam's foot's injured in that initial car crash. Yeah, yeah. If you look down at his feet, you'll actually see him yank off his toenail. Oh, that, no, I haven't that seen became, that. It's pretty gruesome. Uh, no, <laughs> That's one of those ones I think you miss out on the opportunity to do it, but if you look early on, it might actually be in that scene. He, yeah, he rips out uh, his big toenail. Uh, yeah, very cringe-inducing. I'm glad I missed that. <laughs> Um, So also in this room, as well as your figurines, you can also pull the camera towards the toilet as well as the shower, and there's various facilities in there you can use. You can also have a quick look at your desk, which has some drinks available on it. Interestingly, they've removed the Monster sponsorship that they had initially for this game. So when this game released, you just chugged cans of Monster. That's uh, true. To begin with. Um, Obviously, they didn't have that sponsorship in place for the Director's Cut Edition because it's just like a generic kind of future-looking soda can, like an energy. Drink. I think it's just called Bridges Soda or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, so in your private room, Sam also takes a shower to wash off the Karelium contamination that he got from the Timefall whilst he was getting to the incineration building. During the shower, you actually get a phone call from Deadman again, explaining that the president is waiting for you. So this is obviously pretty confusing, seeing as you're pretty sure you just saw the president die and also get cremated. Yeah, I mean, you literally threw her body in the fire. Yeah, 99.9% sure. I mean, yeah. 100% surely. (laughs) You should be 100% sure, (laughs) but when someone says the president's waiting, you might start to doubt yourself. Anyway, a very confused Sam hurries back to the president's office and meets Die Hardman, who explains that Amelie is going to be the new face and hope of America, and behind him, Amelie steps out. So this is the first time that Sam's seen Amelie in a long, long time. Amelie says that, although her mother, Bridget Strand, may be gone, she's here to take up the reins and lead America to being rebuilt. She says that her physical body is still on the beach and she's currently suspended in time. If you remember earlier, the beach is the sort of purgatory between life and death. Where where all the dead whales and dead sea life seems to wash up. She also mentions that as she is on the beach, she's suspended in time, and that means she's unable to grow older. Although she does comment the fact that Sam looks a little older since they last saw each other. 
So Die Hardman agrees with Amelie. He explains that someone really does need to carry on Bridget's legacy and rebuild the United Cities of America, or the UCA as I'll call them from now on. Sam's opinion really hasn't changed on this very much. He's very reluctant to help still. So Die Hardman essentially explains that the progress so far in re-establishing America and the UCA is currently within its first stage, or at least just finished its first stage. That being that Amelie had previously travelled west with a large expedition of people, the best of Bridges one, which is the company that Sam and Die Hardman belonged to earlier, although notably missing Sam. So this expedition went through the harsh environment, Timefall and BTs to look for more survivors following the Death Stranding. Slowly, over time, they convinced more and more communities to join the UCA, and they eventually arrived at a place called Edgenot City on the far west coast of America within about three years of departing. But, in a twist of events, the whole team got wiped out, apart from Amelie. She was kidnapped by a terrorist group called the Homo Demons. What your ass say? She's free to communicate with Sam, but she must remain in Edgenot City under the watch of the terrorists at all times. So these terrorists, they're a militant separatist group and are saying they're keeping Amelie as hostage to act as insurance that they won't be bothered by bridges down the line. At this point, Die Hardman also passes Sam a device called a Cupid, which resembles a pair of dog tags and allows Sam to travel and connect other bases to the chiral network. Cupid spelled Q-P-I-D as opposed to what you're thinking. That's right, yeah. If you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that Sam was actually wearing the bracelet given to him by Deadman and the Cupid given to him by Die Hardman just now in his vision at the start of the game after the void out before he even met up with Bridges. Sam is clearly still holding a grudge against some perceived slight from Amelie and Die Hardman and he basically walks out after returning the Cupid and saying he's not interested. Die Hardman then follows, he's not to be put off and tells Sam to sleep on it and have a think about whether he wants to help later on after a good nap. Sam's sort of still f***ed this off though. Deadman also approaches Sam at that point, holding BB and gives it back to Sam. Deadman also tells him that he's had a little tinker with BB as we mentioned previously. The BB should now work a lot better with people that are afflicted with dooms. Sam in particular. Sam in particular, absolutely, yeah. It's been it's been, it's been yeah. personalised. Custom built. Sam then heads off to bed with BB in tow. So at this point, we are joined by another cutscene yet again where Sam wakes up on the beach, this time fully clothed, and he's woken by Amelie, who's dressed in a red dress. She tells Sam that he is called Sam Strand. You're Sam Strand. Get this Sam Porter out your head, boy. You're Sam Strand, okay? Sam says that that was his old name, but he now goes by Sam Porter. At one point in the vision, the camera cuts to Amelie, and she's actually wearing a black dress against a different background that looks like a giant blast. The camera then pans back to Sam, and Amelie is now back dressed in red, the sky is back to being overcast, and she embraces Sam. She says once again that she'll be waiting for him at the beach, and walks off towards the sea, the sky now being back to an explosion again. This is all very mysterious and confusing. You're wondering what the hell's going on? Am I am I seeing the same scene segmented from different times? What the f is going on? What the hell did the Death Stranding do? I'm lost. At this point, everyone should be lost. It's fairly confusing, to be fair. Sam, once again, wakes up in the bed of his private room, and at this point, a researcher called Hartman encourages you to use the toilet and says that whenever you piss, sh- or shower, Sam essentially excretes a very small amount of chiralium. And chiralium exposure is closely linked to emotions, and they think that can also be a precursor to the condition of dooms. So essentially, chiralium exposure can also cause dooms. Bridges will be doing their best to collect all of Sam's sweat, piss, and sh- 
to research the hell out of. From your room, you can also look at your currently empty weapon rack, as well as check on your bridge baby, BB. For now, the baby seems pretty content. You can also check your desk in a terminal that lets you read files, current orders, and emails. On checking your empty weapon rack, Mama calls you and explains she's the woman who took your order at the start of the game after you met Fragile and went on to Capital Knot, which is now, if you'll recall, just a crater. She tells you that the rope you see attached to your suit is actually laced with your blood for some reason. Daiho Hobman also walks in and gives Sam the Cupid again. Sam finally agrees to help Bridges so he can rescue Emily. Die Hardman explains the bases between Sam and his objectives are called knots, and they're currently not connected to the chiral network. Sam needs to use this cupid to connect all the sites to initiate massive data transmissions so they can essentially share data across the network. At this point in the future, everyone basically has a replicator and 3D printer capabilities, so they can make their own sh all the time. So they can basically make whatever they want, provided they have the necessary data, which has currently been fragmented as a result of all of the Death Stranding. Yeah, and all of the people being split and not being able to share it. So, by connecting everyone, they'll be able to gain as much knowledge from the past as possible via a connected network of survivors and settlements. And this will all ultimately help to rebuild America. Sam also asks Deadman, who enters the room, to check his boots, as his blood seemed to trigger the BTs in some sort of way before. Sam exits and has one more vision as he connects the bridge baby to his Odredek sensor. The mystery man is once again in a room, being looked at through the eyes of the bridge baby, staring over a comatose woman, apologising to her and saying he'll take good care of BB. He then disconnects and takes BB somewhere off in a hurry. What does this all mean? Who is this man? Sam then leaves via the elevator, and Die Hardman, as a chiralgram this time, tells you your main objective is to get to a place called Port Knot City, but the signal currently won't reach that far without connecting locations along the way. Sam needs to connect the sites along the way so they can act as relays and boost the signal with the chiral network even further. They give you some smart drugs and tell you to head to a place called Waystation West of Capital Knot City to connect them to the network with your Cupid dog tags. At this point, you can review the order via a terminal and see the distance, elevation, and amount of inclines between yourself and the objectives. You can also do this via your compass in the game as well. You can also see potential risks along the way, like timefall areas with BTs, whether there's any falls or steep inclines, or whether there's any rivers and long streams across that will make it harder to cross. Yeah, and actually while you mention that, I like whether when you open your map and you tilt it, you can actually see the gradients of the hills and stuff. That make, makes it so nice to be able to plot routes. So the mission description also shows you some recommended tools that you can manufacture in your own 3D printer, and these things are tools like ladders and ropes that you can use to make the journey easier. With all of this in mind, Sam then embarks. You eventually arrive at the way station after a long hike, and they're very pleased to see you. They'd basically lost all hope after Central Knot was destroyed, and you deliver to them a drug called oxytocin, which is supposedly supposed to help deal with people with little to no interpersonal contact, as is basically the way with the world after the Death Stranding. They're a little concerned to hear that you're the only person Bridges is sent to connect everyone. Following Amelie's initial expedition all the way to the west to lay the groundwork, another group of people were supposed to travel west and connect all the sites up, not just Sam. So that's, you know, clearly a signal that something's gone wrong there. One man army now. The man who delivers. You use your Cupid to connect them to the network, and a new strand is established to the knot of the waystation. You also gain the ability to craft an item called a PCC, which is a sort of portable 3D printer device that you can carry and use to make all types of semi-permanent structures in the outside world. Next on the menu is to get to two more of these stations and connect them to the network. The first is a distribution center and then swiftly on to a wind farm. 
on Sam Goes to take some materials to the distribution centre. And I must say at this point that this is where we started playing a lot more than we were cutscening. Yeah. Despite the game having a reputation for being a walking simulator or some such... Whilst I can't really say that there is much more to it at this point... <laughs> it's not not a walking simulator. <laughs> but it's it's weirdly fun, if that is a way to describe it. It's being able to like have this like beautifully crafted world with really... like Probably the game, game I've played that has the most photorealism to it with its characters. Insane levels of terrain detail exactly. as well. And just everything about it. You even have like strong winds, different weather conditions. So we'll get all into this another time, I'm sure. Which all affects the surfaces in your exactly. environment as well, whether the rocks become more yeah. slippy as it rains. Exactly. Really, really good. And like you have to stay balanced to keep your, your packages in good health and good shape. So it is so much more than just the walking simulator. There is a level of depth to it that you really have to play the game to experience. And you have to really attempt to immerse yourself in the environment that your character's traveling through so as to make the right decisions and yeah. get to the most efficient easy to use route yeah, and it's funny i remember that when you first played this game one of the things you told me was that this game made you like it basically changed the way you thought about traversing through landscapes and games because of this game yeah I still still agree yeah, with and, that. Oh, and I knew what you meant at the time because you explained it so well, but now I've experienced it myself. You are absolutely right. You just notice all the surfaces and it's like, right, that rock's going to be slippery now. I need to be careful with that. And also that grass is going to be really wet and because it, it's on a slight hill too. And it's like, it's weird. It does make you think. It sounds extremely mundane, but at the same time, that level of detail in a video game is something that really, honestly, it's chef's kiss from Kojima. And it, it's also very, again, it plays into a lot of the tropes of Kojima's style. I mean, in Metal Gear Solid 4, you play old Solid Snake and you actually need to take painkillers for your back if you crouch and walk too much. <laughs> That's awesome. Doing that sort of thing is, is, I would say, is comparable to sort of the mundaneness of well, the supposed mundaneness of just edging around slippery rocks and avoiding slippy patches of grass. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, when you say it, it sounds sh**. It's such a hard sale to explain this game to yeah. someone. You can imagine, like, the goddamn Sony execs being like, ha, yeah, we got Kojima on board <laughs> after we left Konami. What's he going to bring out? Another Metal Gear Solid banger. And he's like, okay, guys, so this game, you play as a postman, and suddenly all the execs start sweating. Yeah, in exactly. <laughs> and, like, I, I, this is part of the reason why last week I was saying I was a bit apprehensive, right? Because you hear all this stuff. And it's cutscene heavy yeah, as well. Which, which isn't a big thing for most, but for me, like, I like to play my game more than i like to watch my game but also hearing that you're going to be spending your time playing delivering packages and sitting and watching cutscenes this is such a hard yeah, sell exactly having now done it i will say initially the cutscenes are needed you need this context as we're getting into you need the intrigue to keep you, you going really don't you but just trust us when we say it's better than it sounds <laughs> It's like much better than it sounds. Well, I'm glad that you're coming to that conclusion instead of uh, instead of fighting this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad <that> these. <laughs> no, like I say, like I say, I'd like there to be a bit more with it. I think there there could be some more coming up. But yeah, like it, it's it's not as boring as it sounds because it is a career <laughs> simulator. It is. It really is, and it's hard. Yeah, yes. But it's good. On his way from the way station to the distribution centre, Sam is actually detected by one of the enemies in the game other than the BTs. This is a group of people called mules. Yeah. Mules like the donkey. These mules are basically just 
package thieves that attempt to intercept deliveries and steal as much cargo as possible. We do, however, manage to avoid these mules until a timefall storm starts to come in, and obviously these mules at that point, unable to really detect BTs, are justifiably run off to avoid any BTs that are coming as of the storm. Yeah, makes sense. And I just sprinted past these guys. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the way to do yeah. it, basically, yeah. Uh, Sam obviously isn't put off by the BTs, being a bit of a master at avoiding them by now. He sneaks on past and finally gets to the distribution centre, or at least just outside and eventually out of the timefall storm. At this point, the bridge baby becomes suddenly very distressed and enters what is called in the game a state of autotoxemia. So this is essentially a state where the BB suddenly shuts down due to high levels of stress. This can be caused by Sam falling over, crashing himself, submerging the pod in full water. If you try and cross a river where the level of the water is above Sam's chest, then that will stress out the BB. And obviously this causes Sam's Odrodex sensor to stop working as a result, meaning that he can no longer detect BTs. However, this isn't really a problem as we've just about got out of the timefall yeah. area. Sam heads on into the distribution center to deliver the goods to a guy called Benjamin in Hancock, uh, who is in charge of the distribution at that centre. We also bust out the Cupid and connect them to the Chiral Network. After that, we then head on down and get the bridge baby settled in our own private room. Which looks exactly the same as the other private room we were in. Yeah, all these private rooms are essentially the same, and you'll notice a lot of the buildings in the game are just carbon copies of each other, which kind of, in some games, you would say was like not using resources, but in this game it also again makes sense, because everything's a carbon copy of each other, everything's 3D printed, and manufactured exactly the same. That does make sense, yeah. So, on entering Sam's private room, Sam connects the distressed and autotoxemic BB to a terminal. At this point, Deadman enters and explains that BBs are essentially kept in those little glass pods, as it impersonates being in utero with their mothers. BBs, in order to function, they need to be periodically reconnected and synchronised to their environment, as well as something called a still mother. This is pretty messed up we're about to get into (laughs) right now. So a still mother is essentially a brain-dead woman that's kept alive in a medical facility back in Capital Not City, back where we started our journey. This woman is in a chemically-induced coma, and via this method of connecting the BBs to a fake uterus that is supposed to represent the uterus of the mother, the BBs actually bridge the gap between life and death, being both technically not alive, but also at the stage of just being born. (laughs) Don't ask me too much on how much that makes sense. There's some sense in there somewhere. May probably in Kojima's head, but it is there. And basically, by bridging the gap between life and death, that's how the BBs are able to see the BTs, and also help others detect the BTs. Yeah. Deadman also warns you that there's a lot that they currently don't know about BBs, and the future of BB is essentially uncertain. Once it's outlived its use, they don't really know what to do with it. None have lived past, was it three years or a year? I think that's about right, yeah. yeah. However, it's worth noting that this one has been in circulation for quite some time at this point and has had multiple owners, according to Deadman. He also mentions that he's working on Sam's request to figure out why BTs react to your bloods, along with Hartman, who is the guy that keeps on speaking to you in the shower. (laughs) Sam eventually falls asleep and wakes up once again to Amelie, this time in his private room, in a red dress, appearing as a chiralgram. 
She says again that she isn't guarded, but she still isn't able to leave. She again encourages Sam to keep doing what he's doing and reconnecting people. And Sam again recoils as she tries to touch him, even though she's a chirogram. One final time, she says she'll be waiting for him to come and get her, and then she disappears in a flash. Shortly after, Sam gets a call from Hartman, the researcher, who asks you to take a shower for some research. Yeah. Sam duly obliges him, and at this point strips off to jump into the shower. Now at this point, you'll notice as well, you know, as you may have noticed previously, that Sam is actually kind of covered in handprints, yeah. as well as various cuts and scars and things. But they're sort of reversed, they're like inverted handprints. That's right, it looks like as almost the hand's been put on him, and then they've been sprayed yeah. over with a paint sort of yeah. thing. So, And I think this is essentially meant to represent the amount of times that he's been grabbed by BTs in the past throughout his porter journeys. Yeah. Well, after taking a shower, Hartman radios back in to say he's taken a sample, and he will look further into the effects of your body fluids on the BTs. Sam does ask Hartman if he's had a chance to research people with dooms before and Hartman explains he has in fact he actually has dooms himself as well as mama the woman that you delivered cargo to right at the beginning however so far those tests have been inconclusive however Sam is very special. He's also a repatriate, once again, meaning that he can come back from the dead. Hartman is really excited about the sort of potential of these tests and of the new research that he's undertaking. A sample of your shower water then gets dispensed into a glass vial, and Hartman encourages Sam to give it a chuck at the next BT encounters to see what happens. Yeah. Bit of field research for Sam there. He mentions that there is actually a historical paper on the effects of using bodily fluids of doom sufferers and repatriates and by bringing more people into the chiral network as i mentioned previously the collective shared knowledge and information will bring bridges closer to uncovering the secrets of the past and will ultimately help us get a better understanding of the death stranding the bts the bridge babies and dooms the whole shebang hartman then sort of weirdly hangs up after sam hears a voice counting down in the background on hartman's side of the phone call and that's the last you hear from him for a while yeah Interesting. Sam is now back, sat in his private room, refreshed and ready to go. As we leave, we connect the BB another time and see yet another vision of the mystery man, this time arguing with the doctor about whether they can save BB in some sort of procedure. The doctor doesn't sound all too hopeful. Yeah. We then cut back to Sam rising in the elevator up to the surface level. Sam asks Deadman about the visions over the radio, and he actually explains that it's likely flashbacks from the bridge baby. Deadman also reiterates that there's a lot of missing records on BBs, and there's still much to learn about their past as well as their creation. Yeah. On exiting the elevator, the leader of the centre, Benjamin Hancock, asks you to retrieve a printer part from some mules, the package thieves, who have stolen it. Without the part, they can't really connect the printer to the chiral network, which means they essentially can't manufacture anything yet. So, on Sam goes to retrieve the printer part, and while they're out there, he also collects some chiral crystals, which we get from those golden hand things sticking up from the ground I mentioned earlier. They also gave Sam a crystal collector tool to be able to pick those crystals up that he finds. Turns out all he needed was a container. Just the little tube thing, yeah. yeah. On returning the crystals to the distribution centre, you get a printer recipe for container repair spray, as well as a few other bonuses. After sneaking into the mules camp and stealing back the printer part, you were then gifted the ability to manufacture bridge boots. So at this point, you've got the printer part, you can also make a few different things in your 3D printer. Now, bridge boots are a piece of equipment that Sam wears in the game. Over time, they deteriorate, which makes your likelihood to slip over tricky surfaces much more likely. You essentially keep 
keep on needing to print these boots over time to reduce your chances of falling over unexpectedly. Or you pick them up off other people. Yep, you can find these also amongst mule camps. There is also a type of plant in the game called sandalweed, yeah. I believe, that you can use as a sort of quick fix if you suddenly find yourself in a situation without any bridge boots. Yeah. They don't last very long, but they'll get you out of a pinch. Yeah, no, I've, I've not had to use them yet. I ne never had to use them at once. Because you prepare. If you take the time to prepare, you never need to do any of that shit. You also gain the ability to build large bridges with the PCC devices that you got earlier. You can also bring these along on journeys. Uh, they're really handy for crossing over larger gaps or rivers, but they also require Sam to bring along some metal materials to make it once you've placed the PCC. Yeah. Next, we head off to the wind farm as the last stop before we finally boost the chiral network signal far enough to be able to reach Port Knot City, which is our main objective. Now, this is a really great time to learn how to build a bridge using the PCC and the metals because there is a massive river between the distribution center and the hill up to the wind farm. And unlike the rivers you've encountered previously, this actually gets really rough in the middle and it will actually sweep you off your feet and drag you downstream if you don't build something to cross yeah, it. Yeah, because the deeper the water gets in this game, the more energy you lose with each step. And once you're on zero energy, you're just shot away, as Will says. That's yeah. right. So you have a stamina bar in this game, which kind of explains your overall energy capacity and then you also have an endurance bar which is dictated by how long your stamina bar is and that's the bar that starts to drain whenever you do something that requires a lot of physical exertion crossing a river being one of the many ways that you can do that yeah. if you've got a really low stamina bar you are not going to be able to endure very much exertion at all yeah. so we finally cross the river and head up the hill to the wind farm which is notably very windy and this also affects the control as James mentioned earlier it gets harder to sort of steer your character it'll cause you to suddenly increase in speed if you suddenly turn away from the wind and if you turn towards the wind you'll be struggling to move forwards so it's another kind of immersive element to the game Sam manages to sneak past yet another load of Timefall and BTs in the woods past the bottom of the other side of the hill just before the wind farm. And this is also a pretty decent time to test out your vial of water, which the game actually calls X-Grenades. Any idea why it's called an X-Grenade, James? Because it's excrement. Excrement grenades, that's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, so Sam also then goes on to deliver the power supply unit to the wind farm to the great satisfaction of Jake Wind, yet another very on-the-nose yeah. name in this game. They've got a very on-the-nose future naming convention. Although, actually, when you consider it, that's kind of how a lot of surnames were sort of made yeah. historically as well, that's weren't they? you get like Taylor and uh, Fletcher and things like Smith. that. Smith, yeah. Uh, so we also, of course, connect the wind farm up to the chiral network using our trusty Cupid dog tags. With the signal now boosted up to reach Port Knot, it's time to quickly head back to the distribution centre to get another mission. We also, at this point, gain the ability to use our PCC printer to make chiral power generators. Deadman radios in to explain that they've been doing some research and they sprayed some of your sweat in an area, and they also noticed reduced BT activity. This kind of suggests that all of Sam's bodily fluids, such as urine, sh or blood can be used to deter BTs. Deadman thinks this has something to do with the fact that Sam's a repatriate. Sam then heads back to the distribution center for a well-earned rest in his private room. Di Hardman checks in and tells Sam that he needs to head all the way back past the mule camp, past the way station, and back to where we started at Capital Knot City for a very important mission. Yeah, that was that was brutal, that reveal. Because I was like, I just want to crack on now. Like, like no, you gotta yeah. go all the way back, son. It's like, f man. Again, yes, another trope of Kojima, he loves a bit of backtracking. There is literally a point in Metal Gear Solid 1 where you have to go back to the middle of the game 
to do a puzzle to go all the way back to the end of the game again. Damn. After a shower and another quick rest, we do just that. Head back to Capital Not City. F***ing trek. We avoid as many mule package thieves and BTs as possible along our way. And also, as you might remember, we got the generator for our PCC earlier at the wind farm. We can now actually use this generator to power a broken motorcycle called a reverse trike outside of the distribution center, which actually does make the trip back a lot faster. It does, yes. Particularly if you've got ladders and stuff that you set up along the way and you use those ladders. Did you drive up the ladders? You can do that with someone. I didn't drive up the ladders, but I, I like drove across rivers, like driving on the ladders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Great. That. Perfect. Yeah. Yep, yep. I did try, I did Skyrim like mountain climb with the bike a bit as well yeah it, the bike is janky as f but it can get far like a skyrim i got it, i got it stuck there so i had to ditch it oh, i was on the way back though so i didn't mind it was on the way back from the capital back to the um, distribution center so i was all right on your journey back there is actually an opportunity here to meet an optional survivor called the ludens fan did you bump into this guy on your journey back james i did not jump bump into this guy no was this guy is this guy that's at the farm no 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 he's, he's there's, there's before a... you get to the farm he's actually in between the distribution center and capital not city once again he is just another survivor in a sort of an underground basement that appears as a hologram to you right ludens for people who don't know is the sort of the astronaut type person where Wearing a Spartan type helmet at the beginning of a lot of Kojima titles. He also appears as a little mini figurine attached to the BB's pod as a little nod Kojima likes to add in. As I said before, lots of little Easter eggs and things like that. This Ludens fan, he collects little figurines and models and stuff, and you find him essentially by as you travel through that area, you might well find a lost package that's available for him, and then that sort of essentially tells you where to go to deliver it. Right. Once you do it, you deliver the package to the Ludens fan, you might notice that he's actually portrayed by none other than Jeff Keighley. Ah. Not voiced by Jeff Keighley, but he does look like Jeff Keighley. Oh, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. We know that. Also, as a side note here, I'm not going to go into too much detail because you haven't done it. There is also a couple of DLC missions you can pick up here. One that sort of gives you a stealth mission where you get something called a maser gun, essentially a taser gun. You get to sneak around an interior, knocking out people MGS styly. Nice. There is also an additional Half-Life DLC mission here, special for the Steam version of the director's cut. You get a little mission to collect what resembles a portal companion cube hanging out by the river near the distribution center. For returning the companion cube, you get some likes as well as a pair of special Gordon Freeman glasses from Benjamin Hancock. Gordon Freeman being the main protagonist of the Half-Life series. I saw they were called Gordon glasses. I thought his surname was Gordon or something, mate, and I was just like, oh, I've just got a pair of his glasses. At some, at some point you get a head crab hat. Nice, that's cool. I haven't got that yet, but I, I saw it in the, in the director's cut promotional stuff. Nice. So, after finally driving back to Capital Not City, you are given a container of medicines, sperm, and eggs to be taken to Port Knot. So this is the very important package that Die Hardman had mentioned that you needed to go collect. Yeah, and it's worth noting that with these very important packages, it was the first time I had my fall. I fell on the sperm. Amazing, and uh, it was still intact, I take it, although pretty badly damaged. Like three percent damage. That's pretty good. That's fine then. But but it was just it was just funny that it's like the first one where they literally like look, and this is super important. It's 
it's like eggs, sperm and, and whatever. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, all right, no worries. And this is the one where I slipped for the first time. This is actually the longest journey that Sam is going to have to go on today by a long shot. This is actually going from what is essentially the, the main start of the game all the way to the furthest point that you've ever been. It will also mean passing through a couple areas with high chiral density, which also means that there will be BTs there, as well as the mule camp that you had to run past previously. So there's quite a few obstacles here. So at this point, Mama also radios in to give us some good news. She has developed some anti-BT weapons called hematic grenades that are actually made with Sam's blood. These are very useful. This is your first real tool that you can use to fight back against the BTs. Yeah. Should you need it, of course. Should you need it if you decide not to get around them. It's very optional. You can make up your mind whether you want to kind of take them head on or sneak around them. You were also given the recipe to make some blood packs, which is obviously, again, from Sam's blood. And these are actually utilised as backup health if yeah. you are injured and you need to refill your blood gauge your blood gauge is essentially your health bar they are also used as ammunition for your weapons so these hematic grenades every time you throw them it will use up a small amount of a blood pack so as well as watching out for your grenade ammunition you also have to be careful not to throw a load of hematic grenades and f***ing bleed yourself dry it oh, can happen I didn't realise that was a thing it has more of an effect the harder difficulty you go but you have to eventually balance out between just how many attacks you're doing versus how much blood you've got left. Oh, damn. Unless you want to become very anemic and very weak, which again affects gameplay. And you see, I remember them saying that when they were like warning me about stuff by using the You're grenades. You're just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> no, but I didn't clock that it was draining blood packs as a measure of that. Yeah, yeah. Far, yeah. Damn. Sam also now gains access to a little firing range that can be accessed through any of the bridge's terminals and that allows him to sort of familiarise himself with any new gear that he gets given. So at this point, Sam is now ready to head on his way back to Port Knot City, crossing the large river outside the distribution centre and moving past a large area full of BTs due to heavy timefall, before he finally reaches the top of a very steep hill where Port Knot suddenly comes into view and the rain clears. So as you descend the hill on your way to Port Knot, you're treated to yet another scenic pullback camera view with some silent poets with their song Asylums for the Feeling, Feet Layla Adu. Again, this was another good use of the music. Yes, it, well, this is a very nice really one. Well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's that moment of relief. You're on the home stretch and the song very much kind of matches that mood. It's like, oh, mate, the relief was real, honestly. <laughs> this game can yeah. be genuinely beautiful and awe-inspiring at yeah. certain moments and this is one of your first hints into that. Yeah. Sam arrives inside Port Knot City, finally. He heads inside and meets a chirogram of a guy called Victor Frank, who is the distribution manager for the port. Looks a little familiar as well, this guy. He does he? look a little familiar. He's also as keen as everyone else is to join the chiral network, and Sam immediately obliges by connecting his Cupid, and Port Knot becomes part of the UCA network. Hell yeah. While speaking to Sam, Victor notices a small Ludens figurine that I mentioned earlier attached to BB's pod. Victor also happens to have a matching one. Sam goes on to explain to Victor that he got the BB from Igor, the guy in corpse disposal who got sucked up and killed by the BTs in the initial void out. Victor explains that Igor was in fact his little brother and is obviously sad about the death of his younger brother, but he also tells Sam to take good care of the little Ludens figurine on his journey. Yeah, and he was also grateful that he knew what had happened. Yeah, absolutely. He took yeah. some solace in the fact that he didn't have to spend the rest of his life wondering. Yeah. Amelie then messaged Sam over a chirogram using the same terminal as Victor, and encourages him once again to keep pushing forwards, keep going. Sam is then told by Victor that to get across the sea to the west, they actually need to use a boat owned by none other than Frank. 
fragile as part of Fragile Express. The reason for this is that terrorists have over the years destroyed pretty much all the boats kept by bridges. Sam then heads one last time to his private room at Port Knot to have a quick rest before making the trip across the ocean. And that, listeners is where we're going to finish for today. A lot to take in. A lot to take in. We will do some sort of very, very condensed, too long, didn't read recap at the start of next episode, just to kind of bring everyone back up to speed. But I hope that everyone has enjoyed the recap of what is essentially like the first three to four hours of Death Stranding, (laughs) if you make a beeline for the objectives. I think that is us for another Completionist Corner. Until next week. Okay, James, after that lengthy discussion, I hope you had as much fun as I did delving into the world of Death Stranding. It's only getting started, mate. It's got the old just beginning. The taste buds are tingling. Good to hear, buddy. Can't wait to see what happens in the game to come. Okay, James, I think it's about time we rounded out this episode to a close. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. Good to spend another episode with you, James. Always a pleasure, man. Very special thank you to the listeners who have made it this far. You'll all be Death Stranding buffs by the end of this series. We appreciate you. Take care, everyone. Until next week. Bye-bye.